Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is Dr. Owen Everard. Dr. Everard has quite the resume. He has a PhD in biomechanics. He is currently working as a physiotherapist, and he has run sub-14 minutes for the 5K and sub-4 minutes for the mile. He is also the current world and European over-35 3K champion. His background and professional experience makes him the perfect guest to talk about our subject today, which is how do we stay competitive as we age? How can we keep being as competitive as possible as we age? And everybody is going to have a different definition of what competitive means. For some people, it is going to be becoming the world and European over 35 3K champion. For some people, it's going to be winning their age group. For some people, it's going to be, can I still do the things I love to do? So everybody's journey is a little bit different, but how can we keep that fire stoked to stay as competitive as possible for as long as possible as we age? Dr. Owen Everard, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Elizabeth, thanks so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be on this podcast. So all my guests have to answer this question. I love it because the answers are so diverse. How did you become a runner? Yeah, so I would have started running very early, like maybe at like uh, 10, 11. Uh, My mom would have brought me down to a local race. Funny enough, actually, there was an under 10s race, but we missed that. So uh, my mom, undeterred, (laughs) entered me into the under 12s girls race. That was next, so... My brother always uh, jokes that my first win was uh, an under 12s girls race. Um, and then wouldn't he would have done a lot of sports. Uh, my brother then, he was about a year and a half younger than me, he qualified to run for Ireland kind of um, kind of like just unexpectedly and then would have like, we call it slagging here, like, you know, joking and like, you know, he just come down in his Irish tracksuit, and then I was just like, "Okay, I need to, I need to get uh, uh, an Irish cap just to kind of shut him up." And um, yeah, that was like at sixteen, and then that's kind of started it, and I've been kind of running ever since. <laughs> Sibling rivalry fueled your fire to compete for your country. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So tell us a bit about the experience you had competing for Ireland and your speciality as a runner. I think I could really split my uh, time into two. So the first half, I was very good as like a promising junior. Um, there were still really good highs, but I would have had a lot of like, you know, anxiety and real nervousness before races, like couldn't sleep before races. And then I had, I was training to try qualify for the Olympics in 2012. And I, I had a blessing, which was that I actually had the worst year ever I'd gone like full-time running you know trying everything to be the best I could and it just did not work out for me like I just didn't run well the whole year um but it was uh, a blessing because a lot of times you can subconsciously fear like you know uh, what's happening and that just allowed me to like experience what is the worst that can happen you know like that you constantly run poorly you realize that that dream isn't going to happen that I was running times when I should have been coming into my peak that I I hadn't run since I was like 16 and starting properly so um the second half then 
was just it's a lot better i basically i kind of went and did a masters and gradually got back into running um and you know i um i've loved it since i won like you know five national titles broke sub four minutes for the mile sub 14 minutes for 5k and sub 30 minutes for 10k so um and more importantly than the times or the things like yes you still get nervous yes there's excitement and all but just way more enjoy the experience that's interesting that you talk about the pre-race anxiety and something I work through. Is we're going totally off topic before we even get started on our topic today. But, you know, one of the things I'm I talk through for this. Yeah, with, with a lot of my athletes is that, um, you know, when we talk, we kind of think about race planning and kind of talk about, you know, the worst that could happen is that it's often so much scarier in our heads right? That the worst that could happen is that it's, you're going to suffer a little bit and not get the time that you want. And in the grand scheme of things, when, and if, if, you know, when it happens, it happens to everybody at some point, you know, it takes some of the pressure off because you realize the worst quote unquote did happen and you're still here. You're still alive, right? We live to fight another day. And, um, you know, the mind is such a powerful thing. And I think it's just really interesting. I think sometimes when we think about, we think about runners with your kind of athletic background and runners who are professional runners, that they must not feel that kind of race anxiety. They must, you know, perform flawlessly all the time. And that's not true. We're all human. Yeah. If anything, you'd, like sometimes as an elite runner, you'd feel like, well, of course the guy who's coming, you know, mid pack in a, he can't be feeling nervous, you know, but like, it's like at every level, you know, um, hundred percent you know uh i think sometimes it can be like most times it's a subconscious thing that you know because it's undefined it's um it's it's there and it can kind of look for a lot of people that low level anxiety you know i have people you know patients or clients who you know trying to break four hours for a marathon you think oh god they can't be experiencing that much nervousness but you know like really wouldn't like to do the race and i'd always tell them like that really helped me afterwards because as you said if you have with 1500s which i was doing then you could be do i ran like maybe 10 races in a row so like that's 10 weeks of like being disappointed so after a while you're like look i can, can't sustain <laughs> being gutted this often but and you realize that your family still loves you you know your friends are still your friends things like nothing actually bad happens you, although you just have to say yeah that race didn't go great and as long as you are happy with it like everybody is okay sometimes we feel like because you're upset people are upset for you but then we can perceive that that they're upset with the performance so um the other thing that really helped me then with it was when i had kind of ran poorly that next year i was like look i'm kind of retired now so but when i, I started getting back into running and every time i got the nerves i was like well if you want you could just like stop you don't have to do this race no one's expecting you anymore to run and then you start thinking, okay, no, but I want to run. Why do you want to run? Well, I've trained hard for this. Yes, I'll be nervous. Like, everybody's nervous. Um, I don't mind. And then the second thing I would say to the people is, I was, I still am quite controlled on what I eat and, like, preparation for a race. But before, like, I've now ran so many races. I've ran good, feeling good. I ran good, feeling terrible. I've ran terrible, feeling good. And I've ran terrible, feeling terrible. You know, I've sleep every kind of permutation so i would what works for me is not like just if i'm ner if i'm tired and i don't seem to be that motivated if i'm super excited or if i'm nervous different races bring different experiences and just accepting that's how you feel the only constant is if your training has gone well 
and you can look back and honestly like analyze it, you'll find that that's the correlation and the mental strength and being positive or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And if you can, if you understand that, then you kind of get a little bit more relaxed about it because I'm not, I'm not worried about how I'm feeling before I'm racing. It's like, this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. I think it's a, a, a misconception that in order to perform at your best, you need to feel like everything, like wake up on race day morning and feel, oh, it's the perfect day. And my mindset's 100%. That's not true. Like you can have really great performances and not feel awesome. And, but it's that, that prejudgment, right? That like, oh, uh, I, I feel badly. Therefore I'm going to perform badly. It's like, well, you don't know that maybe you will now because you're expecting to, right. But you could have had a fantastic race if you just kind of set that to the side and say, this is how I feel today. I'm just going to go out and give it my best. Yeah. I would even go a step. I would even go a step further. Even with the most negative self-talk, I have had honestly days where I was like, I am not going to run well today. You know, like if you think about if you've run bad for one whole season, the first race after I ran well and I was like, every part of me said I was going to run terrible. And yet because I was in better physical shape, I ran well, you know, or even now I have like up and down races, but I always think there's something probably going on. Maybe I had a little bit of an infection. I never judge it. Like I just recently, I um, uh, I did terribly in this race in Belfast in Ireland, which I thought I was going to run sub eight. I didn't panic. I was like, you know what, that can happen. Maybe I wasn't feeling great for a few days beforehand, you know, like sickness wise, or this can happen. Didn't panic. Next week I ran. I won two races back to back. You know, so it's just that's the sport. Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it goes bad. And that's the up and down. And I think so having your experience in your career, you know, experiencing multiple parts of the sport and having that experience to race a lot and have that kind of up and down for a lot of runners, especially once you start running later in life, they don't have that. They don't have that experience of that as many races, right? They typically focus yeah. on longer distance, right? So, you know, they, it's very hard for, I think a lot of runners to accept that the natural ebb and flow of your performance is part of the process that we yeah. can't expect every single week or every single race to just be better than the last one. You're going to have bad races. It doesn't mean you're heading in the wrong direction. Yeah, hundred percent. And especially we call it like the thin end of the wedge, especially when people come to it later um, the problem can be, it's like, say if you started in your early thirties, like you're going to take huge chunks off time because you're just putting a structure in place, but you will get to a stage where all of a sudden, and that can be take a while for people to realize it's like, no, you're actually at a quite good level now. So it's, it's harder just to like, you know, for a marathon, take 10, 15 minutes off a of time. It could be that actually I felt the preparation went better than ever. I feel fitter, but the race didn't go as well. And it's like, you don't lose that preparation. It could be the next one you get a bigger jump. Um, I think as well, perspective is massive. As I said, when I that first half of my career, every every workout was just guided towards like, and I did run well, like guided towards that makes me I'm in this shape. I think I think the second half, still I like doing well and I've done better than I did previously, but much more like. It's amazing if you're 50 and you're able to run, you know, the vast majority of the population in the world can't run one seven minute mile. So I think sometimes just having the perspective of, isn't it great to be fit and healthy and I can go running and, you know, most people would be huffing and puffing and couldn't do this, you know. I know you, don't, you can't have that all the time, but just having that perspective allows then 
you to realize that the race is an exciting bonus, even for me for racing. I always feel now it's like, God, how many people my age, it's just their life is mundane. They never have that, that like nervousness, that like I am putting something on the line. And like, if and as I said, if I wasn't doing it, nobody would care. So that even makes me a little bit more excited about it. And it's like, God, this is great. I love that um, Franklin Roosevelt's like kind of speech, you know, man in the arena. It's not the critic who counts. It's the man who's in the arena doing the action. And I always think that it's like, yeah, I'm out here trying. And that's the that's the big thing. And I think people need to keep that perspective. It'll really help them. So today we're talking about how to stay competitive as you age. And this is going to be, I think, a conversation aimed at to kind of depends on where you're starting from, right? What competitive means for the individual. And there are going to be some people, and I think we can talk about the kind of in two different groups. There are going to be people who were very competitive, like, you know, ranked competitive, were very, you know, ran in school, maybe were trying to become professional or, you know, join the elite ranks in their 20s, in their early 30s, and then are trying to extend their competitive performance as long as possible into their 30s or 40s. And then we have our, I think was our second group of runners who started running later in life and maybe found they have a, a bit of an aptitude for it, but they started when they were 25 or 30 or 35 or 45 or 55. How and how to, how can they then harness where they started and become as competitive as possible, understanding that they are going to be spending the majority of their career running as masters athletes? What do you? typically see or, or, you know, think of when you hear athletes and, you know, talk about um, staying competitive for as long as possible? Yeah, I, I think there's two things there. I think for the elite, like the elite runner who's now trying to transition to being running as they age, look, there's probably no guarantee of success, but I guarantee one for no... There's one road to guarantee failure, and that is to keep trying to run as you did in your 20s. I've seen that so often. People just think, I used to be able to do these sessions. These were like good indicators of workouts I used to do. And then they keep trying to replicate that, and then they constantly break down. You have different strengths and weaknesses as you age. Your speed isn't going to be as good, but your aerobic strength is a lot better. Your physical strength is a lot better. Your power is less. So you're not the same athlete and you kind of got to lean into those things. So, you know, when I was in my 20s, I didn't take a rest day. I, I did three workouts in a week. Now I always take a rest day. Um, I only do two workouts in a week. The same if, you, if you're only getting into running um, as a, like, you know, in your 30s or 40s or 50s. Be careful of, like, one thing that's brilliant now is that like with Strava and everything else, we can see what people are doing. But just just remember, even you could be looking at a, a 40-year-old and you're 40 and you're thinking, well, that person I want to beat is doing this, this and this. It's like, yeah, but look, they might have 10 years of a, a background that allows them to do that type of work. You mightn't have that background. So you just have to be careful about who you're copying or what you're doing. Because I see it a lot with like Jakob Britton. He's brought a lot of brilliant ideas back. But there's a good saying, when the sage or the prophet points at the moon, all the idiot sees is the finger. And what that means is, 
like we just get hyper in the detail of you know that's the exact session get the general idea of like aerobic as opposed to these type of sessions um so as we age i think to stay competitive it's important not to copy what you did in your 20s or not to copy what other people did because that might allow you to be there i think you need additional rest like at least one rest day to two rest days i think two workouts in the week is massive i think doing things off a lactic like off lactic thresholds and heart rate and minutes so much more effective than offset times when you were in your you know 30s 40s 50s unfortunately not many of us are professional athletes so we have to work there are different stresses and strains that people have and then i think lastly um and this i do pilates so you can take this one with a a, a pinch of salt because i would recommend it but i think doing something outside of running is so much more important even if you need to cut the run to do it um you know when i was in my 20s i never did any pilates or anything like that and i got a bad hip problem then when i was in my early 30s so it made me reevaluate I love that. I mean, right off the bat, you brought up the fact that the stuff that you did in your 20s, kind of no matter where you came from, whether you were running at the highest level or maybe just were in the gym a couple times a week, you can't do the stuff you did in your 20s that you, you know, as you age. And I think anybody who is over the age of 30 now looks back on their 20s and said, wow, I got away with some really stupid stuff. And I I felt okay. I could pull an all nighter and I could go to the gym seven days a week and like still somehow be totally fine. And what it's interesting, you know, working with a, a very diverse population of athletes in my own coaching practice, I tend to find that there are some, and I fall into this trap too. I'm in my mid thirties, right? Is that we sometimes forget that we're not in our twenties anymore. 100%. And so we're holding ourselves to that same benchmark. And when you're in your forties, fifties or sixties and say, you, you, you have this memory, you don't feel your age, right? But yeah. your, your body is unfortunately. So if you think, but what I can handle this, no problem. Well, maybe when you were 22, you know, but now we're 52. And if you try to do those same things, you might be okay for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, but yeah. eventually it's going to catch up with you. Yeah, exactly. And like sometimes we beat ourselves up because, as you said, you're comparing yourself. God, when I was younger, I was able to do these like speed work in these 200s in 32 or 33, and now I'm not hitting this. But you got to remember, you're actually, your aerobic probably is a lot better than it was. Or, you know, or you just have different goals. So, yeah, it's so true. It's like, and I've seen it so often, people pushing, thinking they have the same body because, you know, we age just day on day. And I still think sometimes I'm 19. But, uh, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, no, you're, you're actually getting older and you have and more stresses. You know, sometimes we, we ignore those other stresses in life and it's all part of a package. You know, maybe when you were in college or earlier you even had like you know less kind of personal commitments work wasn't as as serious and you had more time to recover so it's all those things um need to be taken into account so thinking about you know how to restructure training obviously it sounds like a i want to say total reduction in training load because you might still do the same volume of volume of overall training yeah 
but the way that you are distributing that training throughout the week might change. So maybe you might replace a running session with a cross training session, or you might be doing more low impact, or you might be doing more strength-based uh, activity to support your running. Um, because it's interesting, there has been some recent research that looked at how to mitigate age-related declines in performance. And it does appear that to some degree, if we make sure that we are maintaining or maybe slightly increasing our overall training volume, we can prevent, I think about 50% of the performance related um, or age-based related declines that we face as we age. Now, it's not to say we can, you know, eliminate 100% of them, but there are different ways to stay as competitive as possible for as long as possible. I'm making, I say tweaks to how you approach your training. Yeah, exactly. That's like, it's like anything, like strength as well. Like the, I, I was actually doing a podcast recently and it's like, oh God, you, when you came to masters, you won the world championships like straight away. And it's like, how did you do that? It's like, well, I never actually, <laughs> I never lowered my level. Like I adapted, but I, because I was there. So it's like anything, if you have it, it's so much easier to maintain than, than kind of build back up to that. And as you said, you do need to be careful, but like, still doing like effort wise say strides so it's like it's not a thing of like okay remove the speed work it's it's change it to effort it's not a thing of remove the the hard workouts it's like keep the workouts in because as you said even even keeping the effort will allow you to maintain you know at least 50 percent. it's good to hear of that study because it should give us all hope like you know, I'm 37 now and I'm still having a great career. Um, but I, I used to be a very explosive speed type athlete. Now I'm more strong. I have better, I'm kind of smoother of a runner and my aerobic system's a lot better. So you just, as you said, you could just adapt to that and um, it, it makes a big difference. And I know I said kind of those two groups we're talking about, the athletes who've been competitive and are aging into a different age bracket. But then there are a ton of people who start running in their 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s and beyond. And I have a, a number of conversations with athletes who are coming to the sport. Let's say the typical profile of this athlete seems to be people who were started running in their like late 30s or early 40s. Yeah. You know, they've been running for a couple years. They've got a couple races under their belt. Maybe they're training for their first, you know, competitive half marathon or going for their first marathon. And when I have conversations with them, it's always some form of, um, not everybody, but this is how the, the doubt, I guess, seems to come in. So they say, well, I know I'm older and I don't expect to be able to get any faster, but I would like to achieve this goal. And it's like, you've only been running for two years. You yeah, think, exactly. You think you're done? You think this is it? <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. As you said, they're so okay. Like they're like, oh, I'm getting older. I'm not going to be as fast. But it's like you only have two years of athletic development. In fact, and sometimes, as I said, they might feel like, oh, well, that person was a really good runner when they're twenty five. But in fact, like for for a lot of people, it's if you haven't ran competitively when you're younger, like this isn't science backed. But you kind of always feel like there's a certain amount of like say good miles that would have been the kind of colloquial thing we'd say so there was a a woman in ireland Anne keenan buckley and she came like top 10 in the world championships at like 42 um senior incredible like and sonia o'sullivan um who's you know our greatest athlete ever 
you know, silver medal Olympics world champion. She was trying to come back at like 40 um, and was asking then, Anne, like, how did you do it? I'm trying to run the same. She's like, yeah, you've got to remember when, when, when I was 25, I wasn't running at all. You know, when you were 25, you were doing 100 miles a week, you know, real intense workouts. So she kind of felt like I have this freshness in my 40s that a lot of people would only have in their like, say, late 20s. So, yeah, I wouldn't think that even in your 50, it's like you haven't put a lot of like uh, distance on the body and there's so much more improvement there to go. Something I want to talk about, and this is going to be, I think, more of a, a niche thing for some runners but the concept of microcycles that are beyond the traditional seven day plan um so kind of a a crash course in training periodization your training is broken up into kind of phases of that contain other like it's like russian russian nesting doll situations you have a macro cycle made up of mesocycles made up of microcycles and your microcycles like your shortest training well you've training units but long story short a microcycle is typically seven days and that's the the your training week where you have your long run you have your individual workouts and for most people, their microcycles are seven days because our weeks are seven days long and your life falls on a seven day rhythm. But for some runners, as we age, it might make more sense to extend that micro. And I know elite athletes do this too. This is not a new concept, right? But extending your microcycle length to something like 10 days. Um, so you're getting the same stuff in your microcycle, but over a longer period of time. And I, I, I- I promise you Elizabeth didn't make me ask to say this but I really feel that this is why even if you're like if you're doing the hard work of going out for a run that's the hard thing you're putting the time and effort into it I would really recommend people to like think of getting a coach like Elizabeth someone who can look at your schedule because like no and this is serious because it just is that thing like I have a friend here who coaches and it's the same thing the amount of times he has to put people on the work, even not even the week might be different, but the work might have it that while they have like very intense weekends. So actually that seven days doesn't suit. They might need two kind of rest days. And then every second Monday is a long run and that works way better. And like, you know, I've never seen anybody ever regret getting a coach. And a lot of times it's, they kind of don't feel worthy of a coach. They don't feel worthy of training where if you're out there, you're putting in the same kind of time and effort, and I can guarantee you would get really good results. The thing with the microcycle is, yes, like even for for the marathon, I actually think everybody should be on a two-week microcycle because I feel thing thing that's missing a lot is the long run can be overemphasized. So I would think on week one of the microcycle, instead of trying to squash everything into seven days, we'll go... In the microcycle, it'll include, say, one kind of 5K, 10K work, one one long run to get the time on feet, one kind of like aerobic, lactic, threshold-y type session, um, and then it'll include one endurance long run, which will be a shorter run than the marathon run, but will include kind of marathon-paced effort. And in that way, they're kind of every two weeks getting everything they need. Whereas when people go on a one week schedule, that long run, because they're always trying to fit in the long run plus the, plus the workouts, it, it doesn't work as well. But yeah, they would be the two points. I think the not just, excuse me, not just going on the seven days, 
like li- talking to a coach, you will be surprised how much benefit you could get. Like I, my friend, I was literally just talking to him yesterday about this. He, a guy's on nights every second week and he was just training the exact same. And he's like, no, no, we need to go easy one week and we can load you, you know, looking at your schedule. Okay, I'll get a good rest that night and then we can load the sessions, say, you know, three in the next week because you're fresher and then maybe one on the week when you're on nights. And that's tough too because, you know, when you have runners who are looking at a traditionally available schedule, like let's say they bought the Jack Daniels book, you know, they're trying to figure out how to cram everything into their one week. And like you said, yeah, if we're getting faster stuff, more VO2 max style, then we're getting lactate threshold, and then we're getting kind of, you know, aerobic strength, moderate, you know, marathon yeah. work, and then we're getting our long, slow dip. It's like, well, yeah, of course, you're not going to be able to fit all of that in seven days. And I think the trade off is kind of like, kind of sidebar into structuring your training week the trade-off for if somebody you know can't fit all of that work into one week and most people can't is that we actually have to like almost develop those systems in in different blocks like a true linear periodization right so it's like well now we're just doing like aerobic and speed and then we're transitioning into aerobic and strength and then we're transitioning into aerobic you know it's like and it's it's not to say one is necessarily more or less effective than the other depending on what structure you're following um because i think for some runners feeling that fitting that much different work into their training week however long their training week is is going to be too much depending on their level of comfort and you know how long they've been training for but it there are so many different ways to do this and i think that that's where we get really caught up and that people think there's one way to train for one you know if i have this goal there's one way to train it's like oh my god no there are so many ways to train for this thing and that's the cool part about approaching training in this way yeah, like like even if you look at fifteen hundred meters, like Jakob Ingebrigtsen, it's like he literally is training like a half marathon runner. Like I did fifteen hundreds all my life, and I never ever thought one time that anyone would train like he's training, and he's going to break a world record. So, you know, if you're talking at that elite level with that much kind of detail gone into it, that in the year twenty twenty three and since kind of twenty nineteen, that someone can actually completely revolutionize the way. And other and the guy who bet him, Jake Whiteman, doesn't train like that at all, you know. So there is different ways, and as I said, especially with work and everything else, I can't recommend people just for themselves get a coach, let someone see your program because it's you think, oh yeah, that's the schedule, and you're not factoring in all the other things. And sometimes, like say someone like Elizabeth, they'll see it from the outside eyes, and and when they say to you, it's going to be the most obvious thing in the world but until you see that external it can be very difficult to imagine let's talk a bit about how our body ages and some of the natural wear and tear we expect because you mentioned before about you know we lose some of that top end speed we're not as elastic and explosive as we were when we're younger as we age what are the things that uh, a runner can expect of their body broadly speaking as we age yeah, I think, as you said, it's that lack, you lose a little speed, that elasticity goes a little bit, um, that natural mobility that we have. You know, even there's a thing of like, you know, uh, sarcopenia, which is a little bit of strength or muscle wastage. The great thing, as you said, is if we target these things, we can kind of maintain what we have or we can kind of improve it over time. It's just that we need to be a lot more deliberate. We need to be putting in and prioritizing sessions that emphasize this in our week. You know, it's not it's not good enough to be like, 
I've done another another run and just accepted that's happening. Um, things that do improve is our aerobic performance can improve. We can get stronger just um, because we mightn't have focused on that when we're younger. Like I feel stronger even though like technically you're kind of petering out now. Um, and you can maintain a lot of those good gains by you know doing your doing yoga, doing Pilates, maybe maintaining a strength session just to kind of counterbalance those tightnesses and weaknesses you can get with running. Something that also, you know, as we age, we accumulate what I said, the normal wear and tear of life. And I think so often when when we are running focused and we're chasing these goals, we forget that running might be one or two, maybe three total hours of our day. And all the other stuff that we do in our day counts. Like if you have an office job and you're hunched over or if yes. you are in the car a lot or if you do something else, you've picked up, you know, back pain or some sort of thing like it's not necessarily caused by running, but it is something that's going on in your body. And if it's affecting your running, you need to figure out what that is. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes we have these like tickets that like, you know, I always see it when people say, come to me with back pain or other things. They're like, you know, I was given this stretch by the physical therapist and I'm still in pain. And they're like gobsmacked. I'm like, you sit on your ass 10 hours a day. <laughs> like... And you thought this 30 second stretch was going to counteract that? It's like, come on. No, no, no. It's like, we got to get these muscles burning. There's a thing called like gluteal amnesia. Essentially, when I'm talking about waking muscles up is we have these sedentary jobs that like, like areas will get naturally tight, you know, and like that. It's like, I tell, we do say stretches in our Pilates or moves. It's like, oh, I'm so tight. Like, why would I be tight? And it's like, do you sit a lot? It's like, yeah, I drive an hour to work. I sit for eight hours and drive home. And it's like, that could be it. <laughs> that, would, that would do it. Well, it's so funny. Guess. I noticed when, when COVID hit and like, you know, everything, there was nothing to do. And so I, I was lucky where I live. I was lucky to still be able to run outside. Uh, but the rest of the day I was just on the couch or like oh, on yeah. my desk. And I know after a couple of months, I was like, Oh, then like, I'm cause something's going on. Like my hips, like, you know, and I realized I was like, what's changed. Nothing's changed. I'm actually running more. Like I have more time to dedicate to my, you know, pre-run warm up and blah, blah, blah. Yes, like, yeah. Oh yeah. But the rest of the day I'm doing nothing. I am sitting yes. in that same funny position that we all sit in when we're on the yeah, couch. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, well, maybe it. that's, maybe that's related to this. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, as you said, it's like looking at all those factors. Like if it is back pain, if you have any, like, if you wake up and your back is stiff, that could be potentially like a little bit of a disc bulge. And what you want to do there is like, you know, lying on your stomach, extending your arms and just arching the back or power walk for like five minutes, swinging the arms in the morning can just help reduce the amount of fluid in that disc, get it back to a normal, healthy level, and then all of a sudden you're, you're kind of good for the day, you know? Um, speaking of back pain, because I've had a, uh, talked to a couple of runners recently who've been experienced back pain and like, look, I'm not a doctor, right? So this is like, you should go see a professional. Um, but, you know, back pain of varying degrees, whether it presents on a run or in your daily life, is extraordinarily it can be extraordinarily debilitating. Yeah. Um, I know that obviously this is kind of general advice and we're talking in, in not, not specifics and not medical advice here, but you know, for runners who have back pain related to, like you said, disc issues or back pain, that's maybe causing other issues or changing the way that they run, 
you know, what are the things if somebody walked into your clinic and said, you know, I'm experiencing, uh, and you can tell me what the most common thing that you typically see would be, I'm experiencing the symptom of back pain, you know, how would you go about assessing that specific runner? Well, I have this quiz, it's called, it's, you can do it for free. So it's at backawarebelt.com um, and slash quiz. So backawarebelt, just as it sounds, dot com slash quiz. And that's just a back quiz. So generally there's three things I see. One would be like, as you said, disc, disc related pain. How that usually presents is uh, stiffness in the morning, pain either sitting or when you stand after sitting for a while. Um, maybe some like sciatica into the bum or slight down the leg. If you ever get like sciatica or like a drop foot or pain below your knee, I would definitely get that checked out. That's that's serious. Um, what you want to do with that is a couple of things with that. The morning is so important, as we said, because when you lie down at night, the discs take on additional fluid. Okay, so the increase in size. So it's like having a water bottle that's completely full. Now, if I bend or I do things, it's like, say if I didn't want to let water out, it's like, well, if it's completely full, I can't press on that at all. If we can kind of let some of the water out in a safe way, like reduce the, the size of the disc, now we can move and we have way more like in margin for error. So lying on your stomach, extending your elbows, doing that like 10 times to kind of arch your back on the ground. As you said, power walking, if I put on my oatmeal or we call it porridge here, um, put on the microwave, I walk briskly, really swinging my arms from the shoulders, from the microwave to my front door, turn, and I'm doing that for like two minutes. That helps just reduce the viscosity in the disc. Power walking is great because as you move from your shoulder to your arm as well, it kind of just like supports the spine and kind of like just takes a lot of pressure off. So it's one I always recommend to people. The second um, issue you can get is a kind of like a right-sided or a left-sided back pain that kind of can go in towards the hip. And that's generally like more of an SI joint issue. Key with that then is like avoid um, like lunges or split squats and those kind of split positions. Um, again, if someone wants that, you can message me uh, Everard Pilates at Gmail, E-V-E-R-A-R-D Pilates at Gmail.com. If you have any like SI, I'll send you a video I have. It's generally just included in our Pilates group. But for anyone, any listeners here, I'll give it to them for free. Uh, you just get a massage ball. You want to release all the muscles around that pelvis because what's happening is rather than it, the pelvis moving like that, it's slightly tilted. And then that kind of, it, it just has to grind. It's like if a door was slightly off its hinges. So we want to release all the muscles to allow them to kind of move to where they should be. And then we want to focus on like double leg squats, double leg bridges, uh, get the core so that the pelvis then gets kind of more stable. Um, they're probably the two main ones. If you have pain when you're running or walk, generally people have pain sometimes walking around the like shop more than I can get that sometimes when we're standing. A couple of key things you can do then is when you're walking, try power walk, swinging the arms again, it'll support as opposed to, you know, if you're with someone, let them, you know, check the shops out and then try walk up and down to them quicker. You can reset it or place your hands on like a table. Let, let the, let take all the pressure your upper body and then let your legs drop. And then that can kind of just like cause a decompression in the spine or just try sit down to take that pressure off. And then at home, you want to do something like your Pilates. We have 
the back aware belts or back aware pilates coming out where you just learn how to like engage the core muscles to again take pressure off that spine that's fascinating i know very little about the spine and the spinal column um so that's i feel like i'm gonna have to learn more about it after this because you know again thinking about as we age and that kind of how we feel mentally versus how we feel how our body ages for some people you know we're kind of going along and things are going great and then something will happen that reminds us oh yeah i'm not 22 anymore and yeah. that could be a big but it could be very like demoralizing kind of think it's all over i'm done now 100%. i'm gonna take up you know uh some sort of non-running activity and fade off into my twilight years but you know there are a lot of ways we can manage all of these conditions and still be able to train effectively exactly that's the thing it's about having a management system in place like you know with the the Everard sports plot is we like I give like specific rehabs for each one because look while I can't analyze every member we have like so often like with runners like you'll clean up 90% of the stuff if they're just doing these kind of key exercises like they're 10 or 15 minutes that they might have for a knee pain or here's a foam rolling for that and a lot of times it's just having a management strategy like the back is it's so badly managed a lot of times, but it's actually a really easy thing to to work on. And it's 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 just people one don't don't think about it in terms of what's going on. Is it a flexion or an extension issue? And then secondly, they're not giving people like a management strategy that if it gets sore, I do this, this, and this, and okay, I might be out for a week or it might be sore, but I know I can calm it back down, and then I get back into my running and I'm fine. You know, as you said, sometimes it's like if you don't know what to do, it can catastrophize it. And then we're stopped and we're out of the, the routine, which is a really shame. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about how to stay mentally competitive as our performance changes throughout the years. One of the things that I talk about with my runners when they, you know, I get questions about, when can I expect to start slowing down? Like, when will I hit my peak and kind of, you know, I'm like, oh, like we already, you know, why are you expecting that? Like, do as do as well as you can for as long as you can and you'll realize one day, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I'm no longer chasing my fastest ever times. But also that if the only intrinsic reward that you have tied to your running is related to always getting faster you've put a shelf life on your running because oh. if you're expecting to just stop when you're no longer going to set prs like i don't know a lot of runners who like that's that's you're missing the point right you're missing the point so my Dropping question is true bombs there yeah, how how have you and how do you counsel other runners to continue to stoke the fire of competition and chasing the best we can be as we age and the times are not necessarily going to be the fastest times we're going to run for the rest of our running career i think i think two things i think the one thing that you said is so important is that like putting it in perspective like so okay maybe if you're 55 you're not going to run as quickly as you did when you were like 35 but Think about like how much fitter you are than other 55-year-olds. Think about what it's like to, you know, when it's just on a summer's day and you're out running. It's like we don't, we don't take that in enough that like, oh my God, isn't it just great to be like healthy and fit or running with my friends here? And that perspective, as you said, you need to get that. Like that's why I love that line and I was smiling there. It's like that intrinsic motivation. Like as I said, I've, I've been lucky enough. I've 
won a lot of titles and you know ran sub four minute miles and great things and they were brilliant but honestly they don't like like w- one thing when you run when you win these things you realize there's not much behind it like i honestly think one of the reasons why a lot of people can win consecutively or a lot of times is like they win and they realize oh my god is that all there is to it like you know so they don't <laughs> like when they're then against someone who really wants it they're like well i don't care you know real deep, deep down they want to win it's nice but they have the perspective of it's it's not going to really change their life um so and then i think secondly then so the first is just getting the, the that intrinsic motivation of like think of all the good things that like how amazing it is to be able to run like a seven or an eight minute mile or ask your body to try do this say run a a certain set of something and it can do it and it's like god not like think of the control you have there you might look better than a lot of people or feel a lot healthier um second thing is like you know i broke the four minute mile i won national titles but i knew i wasn't gonna be able to do that forever but i had as much excitement then trying to hit other things i just did we have things called park runs over here they're like local races and like i broke then my local courses records you know so, and that was so exciting i was like running the course the week before you know to see it and i ran like 15 minutes five seconds on that course you know and i've ran 13 something for 5k but it was still really exciting or i'm doing like more local road races or you know there might be a thing of not checking the times but thinking all right i might there's might be a local race there that i can be competitive in or i can be the first over 55 in that or you know just like readjusting i i like having goals and the goal doesn't always have to be i have to beat the time i did five years ago or three years ago the goal could now be i want to be the the first over 50 here i want to just you know do this race or you know compete at this level i don't know if that makes sense but it does. And, I, you know, I think it's, a, again, a challenge for a lot of people who enter the sport. And like you said, you know, kind of the thin end, end of the wedge in that when you're new or when, when you're young or when you're old, but when you're new, you can see it feels like you're basically getting faster every day. Like I remember, yeah. so I didn't start running until I was 29. And I remember that first year, yeah. it was like, it was every single time I went out to do a basic workout, I'd set a new mile PR, new 5K PR. Yeah, and every yeah. race I ran was like 10 minutes off, 15 minutes off my time. Like, this is brilliant. I love this. This is, and then it was like, oh, but like you said, it doesn't last forever. But the same thing is that expecting that to continue for the rest of our career like that's just not realistic too because at some point you'll have kind of done all of the regular things you'll have run a 5k you'll have run a 10k you'll run a half marathon you'll run a marathon maybe you've run a trail race maybe you've run an 8k or a 4k or whatever drop down to the mile um but there are so many different ways to challenge yourself that don't solely rely on can i run this specific distance faster than i did last time yeah and as you said just even enjoying the race kind of like just being competitive in a race whether you're coming first or 50th like there's always like a good challenge of god that was just great to get out and try my best there irrespective of the time you know courses are different like a lot of a lot of things have to go right once you get down to it like i would say at least every second race for me you know it's not going to go like you know if i'm trying to win it's like i'm not going to win or this or that can happen so it's just knowing that and just enjoying the process anyway 
I love the, uh, they come across my, my social media feeds every now and then the videos of, you know, the 90 plus hundred meter sprints, you know, when you're watching, you know, like runners compete on the world stage, 105, you know, and they're running a 35 second hundred meter, but oh my God, they're a hundred and five. Like, this is incredible. You know, nobody would ever say to them, like, I don't know, you're not running as fast as you used to. Yeah, exactly. God, when you were 60, you could do that in 11. Yeah. Do you know, like, or 12, it's like, you know, it's like, it's just amazing. And I think, as you said, we don't have that perspective, you know, because it's a sad thing about running where you know what you've done in the past or you can see people winning. And it's, it's like we were saying that even for us, it's, it can be kind of very elitist a little bit where, you know, we don't all just go into perspective of like, no, like being 50 in this race is like, you've done a really good time. If we actually, like my dad used to say this a lot, where... I come home and say I've come like it'd be the All Ireland Championships and I've say I've come like twelfth or fifteenth or I might have come eighth or sixth or wherever and dad'd be like, How many was in the race? And I'd be like, Dad, okay, like say there was like two hundred, I was like maybe two hundred. Oh right, yeah, that's good. I was like, Dad, if there was if there was five point five million, it doesn't matter. The rest of the guys aren't beating us, like. So how many's in the race is we could put the rest of Ireland in there. There's no one going to beat us. So it doesn't matter who's in it, you know? And I think because the rest of the, the population aren't there, you aren't seeing how much you're beating, say, your, nor- your normal 50-year-old by. You're only seeing the other really fit 50-year-olds. And it's always just to keep that in perspective. Yeah, it's a self-selecting crowd. And then you also, I think this is also the thing to remember too, is that again, as we age, you know, you might be competing against people who have, who are one, genetically gifted, who have been performing at a very high level for decades, who, you know, we all have different levels of natural talent and different lengths of time which we'd fostered that talent, you know, and so it's hard again where it's like well who do you compare yourself to if you can't compare yourself to other people and you can't compare yourself to your past self who you compare yourself to and it's like well you don't have to compare yourself to anybody you can just go out and just have have a day and yeah did you try your hardest day yeah are you are you happy with your prep have you and every runner tries their hardest even if you feel like you give up it's like you probably actually pushed yourself too hard and it's like just accepting that's how the the race went or it's like it's exciting trying to be at my best all right so as we wrap up here thinking about how we can stay competitive as runners as we age so let's recap and say the rest and recovery becomes even more important and i, I want you to say it again because i think people really need to hear this you need to probably take at least one rest day per week and no a rest day does not mean a day that you strength train that's a strength training day a rest day does not mean a day where you go on a hike. That's a cross training day. Like it's very yeah. hard for people to understand that you do need rest in order to get better. I think the key things, if you broke it down, is you need to be taking one rest day, two hard workouts in the week is maximum. Do the workouts mainly on like time and effort, like heart rate, rather than set distances. And then include some kind of like strength training, Pilates or yoga in the week to restore your body. And if you do those things, you're going to do a lot better. I mean, that's great advice, I think, for anybody of of any age, uh, but especially as we age up into new groups. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Awesome. Well, Owen, thank you for being here today. This is a wonderful conversation. It's always uh, fascinating for me to hear from runners who have run at the top of their field. And have you just remind us that we're all human? (laughs) 
at the yeah, end of the day, yeah. no matter how fast you can run. Um, but if people are interested in learning more about your work or perhaps working with you, tell us about what you offer. Yeah, so um, main thing is I have a sports Pilates uh, session, so you can get a free trial of that at Everard, E-V-E-R-A-R-D, Pilates, P-I-L-A-T-E-S dot com. And you'll just see on the top right hand corner, free trial. Um, just check that out. If people want to have a free book called Get to the Line in the Best Shape Possible, and you can get that at everardpilates.com forward slash book. Easy enough. And those links are going to be below in the show notes. So you can check that out. I know we love freebies around here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, and thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate our conversation. Elizabeth, I really enjoyed that. Thanks so much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.